0: hello and welcome to the heart of equity podcast from the heartland chapter of the national association of health services executives also known as nasi i'm your host pleasant bradford jr i am a health equity professional a healthcare leader and a member of the nasi heartland chapter in this episode we're talking to melvin carter mayor of saint paul minnesota about his relationship with the healthcare industry and how he hopes to improve health equity for those he serves. Mayor Carter is a fifth generation St. Paul resident and the first black mayor of the city. During the onset of the pandemic, he launched the St. Paul Bridge Fund to provide emergency relief to St. Paul's lowest income families and small businesses the most vulnerable to the economic impact of the pandemic. The fund provided more than $3 million of direct aid between April and June of 2020. Since taking office in 2018, he's also raised the city's minimum wage to $15 an hour and tripled free program offerings at rec centers. Before we get started, we'd like to thank Care Content, our partner, for producing this podcast. Care Content is a full-service digital marketing agency that helps healthcare organizations create a web presence that reaches their audiences. If your health system needs help with digital marketing, website redesigns, or social media, please visit carecontent.com. Now, let's get into part one of our discussion with St. Paul Mayor Melvin Carter. Mayor Carter, how's it going today? I'm doing well.
1: How are you doing today, Pleasant?
0: I'm doing well. Well, let's get started. The first question that I have is, you come from a family with deep roots and connections to St. Paul, Minnesota. What does that mean to you? And um, what does it mean to be elected the first black mayor in the city that your family lives in?
1: You know, it means a lot. You know, As you mentioned, my family's been here for quite a while. Uh, I'm fifth generation St. Paul, raising the sixth generation right now. And this is an incredibly diverse city. It's an incredibly multilingual city. It's a really amazing city. I always tell folks Pleasant that uh, whatever your preconceived notions are about St. Paul, they're probably 100% true 100 years ago, uh, because people don't guess that we are as vibrant, as thriving, as diverse a community as we are. Uh, But that said, in our history, uh, I'm the 46th mayor, and I'm the first one to serve Uh, who is not a white man. And that's not a reflection of who our city is. And it's a part of what we're trying to do because one of the core governance theories is that 100% of the decisions that are ever made are made to benefit the decision maker. What that means is if we want our policies, if we want our budgets, if we want our uh, public investments to benefit a broader group of people, and the only way to make that happen is to bring a broader group of people into the decision-making process. That's not just me as a person of color who is serving as mayor. That means it's my responsibility to bring the folks who raised me, the communities, the neighborhoods, you know, I always tell folks I am the child who was raised by a village. And so I think if if I sort of disappear into my office and just sort of be a black mayor with the door closed, it probably doesn't mean that much. If I bring the perspective, if I bring the experiences, if I bring the people uh, who I grew up around into City Hall to help sort of hack the process and make sure that uh, those processes can reflect those broader voices, then it can mean a whole lot.
0: Absolutely. Since 2018, a lot has happened, a whole lot, especially in 2020. 2020 was... uh, an exceptional year for for many reasons um that's right and so now that we've passed the second anniversary of george floyd we're now approaching year three of the COVID 19 pandemic how have you relied on local health care providers to address the health care disparities that both of these events brought to the surface
1: well i appreciate the way you asked that question pleasant because these events didn't create health care disparities Uh, Sometimes I hear people talk as though suddenly we got disparities in these last couple of years or suddenly people started becoming homeless or suddenly people started becoming unemployed. Suddenly, a whole bunch of things happened in these past uh, couple of years. But the truth is, as you know well, in the way that you frame the question is what we've seen these past couple of years, uh, some of the disparities that we haven't had to look at in the same way. Right. They have uh, come to the surface in ways that we have not been able to deny them, and we've had to be able to grapple with them. I sure wish people in America uh, coming in contact with some virus or sickness that they didn't have the resources to overcome. I wish that was a new thing in America, but it's really not. And so in the past couple of years, the acute crisis we've, uh, we've endured together has required some really acute solutions my prayer is that as the vaccine rates go up and as COVID rates go down, we don't think that that's an invitation to return to what we thought of as normal, which what we've seen now really was all. millions of people across our country uh, being incredibly vulnerable to uh, some type of disruption like what we saw. Uh, our local healthcare providers have been absolutely incredible. Uh, I have to give a shout out to my wife, who's a midwife. Uh, we always say she's the chief medical advisor of the family. Then she accuses me of not taking her advice. Uh, but that's a different, That's a whole, that might be a different podcast, wasn't
0: it? Yeah, that is, that is. You got to take the advice.
1: <laughs> right, right. I do, I take the advice. But, you know, listen, we're in the African-American community and people look back and say, wait a minute, we don't have to look that far back to see our nation's public health infrastructure being weaponized against communities of color. And so to be able to look and see providers, to be able to look and see um, experts, to be able to look and see researchers uh, who come from our community, people I grew up with, people like that, uh, who are right on the local level saying, look, I've looked at this research myself and you know, this is the conclusion that I've come to for my family. But this is what I would encourage you to do for your family. Uh, really is enormous and it helps to give uh, an incredible amount of credence to messages that if they were just coming from Washington, D.C., Uh, we wouldn't have been able to carry the same messages locally and say, we have to mask, we have to get this vaccination, we have to do social distancing, we have to do all these things that we're doing.
0: One of the most critical ways you can help promote health equity is to make sure your health system is doing business with Black-owned companies. This creates career opportunities, builds generational wealth, and allows us to control our own resources. For our Buy Black Vendor Spotlight, we'd like to highlight Diversity Telehealth, a minority-owned organization that specializes in helping companies, communities, and agencies take advantage of telemedicine technologies to reduce their costs, improve their care, and save lives. For more information, please visit www.diversitytelehealth.com. Now, let's get back to our discussion. Well, I want to continue on that theme you mentioned with research. Recent research suggests that social and economic factors are just as important to health equity as the quality of the healthcare system. So the question I have is, what role does local government play in addressing social determinants of health?
1: Recent research says that, and also an eternity of just good old-fashioned common sense says that as well. That's true. Uh, We know, look, everybody who's grown up anywhere, everybody who's lived anywhere, everybody who's raised children anywhere, knows that all of those factors impact everything. We sometimes like to pretend the shortest answer is nothing. The shortest answer is that cities have excused themselves from being a part of the public health infrastructure, the education infrastructure and all these things, because we try to divide communities into these subsections of public safety and economics and uh, health and education and all these other things. So that gives us an opportunity to say, oh, well, that part's not my job, uh, when in actuality, uh, all of it all works together. And every time we see an elected leader, every time we see a public leader, every time we see somebody look and say, oh, that piece of the puzzle is in my job, I think it's an opportunity for us to educate ourselves because what we have to know is the disparities, the negative outcomes. You know, I used to tell folks when I was on the city council, if you want to see the area I represent, just pull up a color-coded map of just about anything. And the area that lights up is the area that I represent on the city council. And all of those different negative outcomes... They're working really well together to create a negative synergy for our communities. So if those of us who want to create a positive synergy for our communities aren't working really well together, well, then we're the problem. And so one of the challenges we've had is that we have not historically seen cities be involved in public health in the way that we've had to over these last couple of years. And so one of the crazy truisms of my life is there are people who want everything to be better without anything changing and so when we find ourselves battling a global pandemic and we say well here's how the city's going to lean in in the public health people get uncomfortable we're fortunate here in st paul we have a a, a department of public health that sort of sits across our county and our city uh, and so they report to us so we get a chance to uh, bring them in and have questions about the numbers and questions about all these other types of things but when we say health and i I really um, uh, believe in this model of health that has grown Uh, that has been more than just the absence of sickness. So when I was a kid, uh, my father, if we, if you thought you were sick and needed some medicine or wanted to go to the doctor, my father would run down the list. He'd say, did you get a good night's sleep? Uh, Did you, have you eaten some good vegetables? Uh, Have you drank some water and have you gone to the bathroom? (laughs) And all of those things were ahead of medicine. uh, We're ahead of a doctor. We're ahead of the ER. We're ahead of all of those other things on the list. Those things, though we have to acknowledge, are directly tied to our economic status. I knew that I was in a household where good, healthy food was accessible to me. I was in a household where I always knew where I was going to sleep tonight. We were in a household with running water and the facilities that we needed to do all of those types of things. We were in a household where we could take for granted the privileges of being able to access all of those things. Probably the first step we took in the pandemic was to say, look, if families are late, paying their water bill, we're not going to cut off anybody's water. Because first things first, people have to be able to wash their hands. People have to be able to sanitize their surfaces. People have to be able to do some of those types of things. And then we started saying, well, listen, if we're going to uh, impact people's health, it's not just about being able to go to the doctor. We're proud of our earn sick and safe time leave policies and things like that. But also people have to be able to afford groceries if they're going to be healthy, People have to be able to be connected in community if they're going to be healthy. People have to be able to exercise if they're going to be healthy. And so thinking about how do we bring on, on online uh, at a point in time when all of our uh, gyms were closed and things like that, how do we bring online significant uh, new spaces for people to walk or run a rollerblade and skateboard or things like that while being sort of uh, distance in, in the ways that uh, Dr. Fauci always wanted us to be. And so I think the exercises that we've been through over the last uh, couple of years have forced local communities to center themselves in health. And
0: my hope is that that doesn't stop, but that that continues moving forward. Yeah. As you said, we have to look at this through a comprehensive lens in order to really understand how we can address, as you said, those acute issues with acute solutions. I really like that.
1: Well, that's how our lives are. That's how life works, right? Like we look at children and and sometimes they're a student and sometimes they're a patient and sometimes they're a client and sometimes they're whatever it is. And the way we have to attack these disparities is by saying they're children and all of those aspects of their identity work together. And if we think we're going to isolate one of them or isolate the other one uh, and just work with one part of this human being in isolation, uh, then we're just fooling ourselves.
0: Well, I want to move into the Minnesota Senate. I learned recently that the Minnesota Senate passed a new public safety omnibus bill. So two questions. What is an omnibus bill? I know I need to know. And so I would love for you to educate me and the rest of the audience on that. And the second question is, what does that mean for local healthcare systems?
1: Look, omnibus just means it covers a lot of things. Omni is the, is the, is the pretext, right? It's a broad kind of reaching uh, bill. And you mentioned, and I didn't get back around to it, but you mentioned George Floyd. Everybody knows the murder of George Floyd really rocked Minnesota. Uh, One of the things that I think is most important for us to remember about the murder of George Floyd is just how historically unsurprising it is. Basic rule of uh, physics, I think, motion is that an object in motion remains in motion until some force acts upon it to change it. We have had the object of unarmed African-American men and women being killed at the hands of law enforcement. That object has been in motion for a very, very, very long time. Now we've seen it on cell phone videos over the last 10 years or so. I think there's folks who think that's when it started. Logically speaking, The only thing that's new is cell phone cameras. And so, you know, my my father and his father and his father and his father could tell you about unarmed African-American men who have lost their lives at at the hands of law enforcement. This is all in service to a public safety framework uh, that has really failed us, that I think is very relevant uh, to health outcomes and health equity. We've been sold a public safety framework that centers around the three Ps, police, prisons, prosecutors. If we build bigger prisons, uh, hire more police officers, and hire tougher prosecutors to fill them, our neighborhoods would be safer. Not only has that not worked for us, massively not worked for us, uh, that's actually the framework that destabilizes our communities over and over and over again. So one of the things that we're doing in St. Paul is just saying, listen, uh, we need a much broader, much more uh, comprehensive, much more coordinated, much more data-driven approach to public safety. And we end up stuck in this police or communities type of framework. We see it differently in St. Paul. My father's a retired St. Paul policeman. He spent almost 30 years. um, And I got to see just some of the incredible ways that a person who knows community and loves community and is invested in community can make a difference with that badge that they couldn't otherwise make. And I'll tell you, our communities, when something happens, we need somebody to be able to race to the scene. And we're going to invest in that. We also have to know that that's not public safety. At least that's not a comprehensive approach to public safety. When I think about people I love, Pleasant. when I think about my children, when I think about my wife, when I think about my parents, uh, when I think about people whose face I can see when I close my eyes, who I know what their voice sounds like, when I think about keeping them safe, it's not at all about just making sure somebody gets held accountable or we get a 911, you know, an emergency vehicle there as soon as possible after something terrible happens. It's about how do we safeguard our house, how do we safeguard our neighborhood, how do we safeguard our community to help prevent and reduce the likelihood that something terrible is going to happen in the first place. That's the type of frame that our public safety system has never had with regard to low-income communities, with regard to communities of color. And that's why we end up stuck in these cycles over and over and over and over and over again. Our Senate, I think, has and our state has uh, made some good strides. We have a lot more to go. Uh, where that's concerned, both on the state level and on the city level, but I really believe that the work that we're doing in St. Paul can help to benefit that to move uh, all of these things forward. Because particularly, and I try to zoom back into health equity and health access. If we fill our grocery stores with organic food, and our young people get shot in the community, our climate is the exact same way. Uh, if we have great gym memberships and great you know preventive care and all those types of things and all of our children live right on the edge of the freeway and get all of the emissions and have all of the asthma, we're not doing our best to address those types of environmental factors that we can address on the local level. So all that to say is our public safety frame, it's called our Community First Public Safety Framework, and it's really about what I said earlier. It's about fielding the the most comprehensive, the most coordinated, the most data-driven approach to public safety that our city has ever tried, and saying we're going to Improve our outcomes by virtue not of just doubling down on the way we did public safety in the 80s, but by building the
0: new century's approach to public safety. Thank you, Mayor Carter, for joining us to discuss the ever changing healthcare landscape in St. Paul. Stay tuned for part two of this insightful conversation with Mayor Melvin Carter. If you're a healthcare executive in Minnesota, Nebraska, the Dakotas, Iowa, Kansas, or Missouri who cares about health equity for people of color, please consider joining the National Association of Health Services Executives Heartland Chapter at nasiheartland.org. That is n-a-h-s-e heartland.org. For more episodes of the Heart of Equity podcast, subscribe at Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcatcher. And while you're there, please leave us a comment. Thank you for listening.